Hello, and welcome to Notes on the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that gives you insights on the markets and economy to help you stay informed for the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Funds. Today is January 10th, 2022. There's an old and much quoted saying by the Greek philosopher Heraclitus. A man never steps in the same river twice, because it's not the same river, and it's not the same man. A very similar observation could be made about investors, considering their portfolios as the pandemic hopefully begins to wane. COVID-19 and the policy choices it triggered changed the economic and financial landscape in a significant manner. However, it also changed investors, leaving them for the most part with larger portfolios, but also with portfolios that are more seriously out of balance. The last two months have seen some significant further changes in assumptions about pandemic, policy and politics. However, for investors, the broad implications remain the same. Earnings growth will slow and long-term interest rates look set to move higher, suggesting limited returns in traditional US equity fixed income portfolios. However, there are opportunities in areas of equity markets, overseas equities, thematic investing and alternatives, and a need for investors to reassess their goals and positioning after three years of extraordinary capital market gains, which have left them with much bigger but less balanced portfolios. On the pandemic, the Omicron surge continues with a record 4.7 million confirmed cases over the past week. However, there are signs that the growth in cases is slowing, suggesting a peak in declining cases over the next few weeks. Importantly, the Omicron variant appears to be crowding out the more deadly Delta variant and hospitalizations, while near record levels, are only 30% of what might have been expected, based on previous COVID waves. Omicron is clearly disrupting economic activity at the start of 2022, with both airline traffic and restaurant bookings dipping in recent days. We expect a continued drag for the rest of January, but improvement in February and, if we're lucky, a significant fading of pandemic effects in March. On fiscal policy, negotiations between the White House and Senator Manchin appear to have stalled. The enhancements to the child tax credit, earned income tax credit and dependent care tax credit have all expired, and even if they're renewed, it's likely to be in a very watered-down form. The administration would very much like to pass some version of the Build Back Better bill, and there continues to be a possibility of higher taxes on corporations and very wealthy individuals. However, a major fiscal stimulus has ended. With the Omicron drag and a sudden cut-off of fiscal stimulus, we expect real economic growth to slow from roughly 7% in the fourth quarter to just 2% in the first quarter, before rebounding to average about 3% for the rest of the year. Growth should be helped by a similar post-COVID recovery in the rest of the world, as well as pent-up demand for consumer goods and strong capital spending. Inflation pressures continue to be very strong. Despite a weaker-than-expected payroll job gain, the unemployment rate fell to 3.9% in December, lower than has been achieved 96% of the time over the past 50 years. Last week's job numbers also showed a record 4.2 million gap between the number of job openings at the end of November and the number of unemployed people in the second week of December. In addition, the data revealed record low layoffs and record high quits, underscoring the strong bargaining position of workers. Wage growth remained very strong, with a 5.8% year-over-year increase in the wages of production and non-supervisory workers. Crucially, with still low immigration and a continued flood of baby boomer retirements, we believe that the labour market will continue to be tight throughout the year ahead, maintaining upward pressure on wages. Other areas of inflation pressure should moderate. Oil prices remain high, with West Texas Intermediate crude still selling at close to $80 a barrel. This is partly because many OPEC Plus producers are actually finding it hard to produce at levels set by their rising quotas. 
However, at these prices, we expect to see a pickup in U.S. and global supplies in the months ahead, cutting WTI prices to the mid-60s by the end of this year. Similarly, there are some early signs of improvement in supply chain issues, and we expect further improvement in supplies of imports and autos in the months ahead in response to very strong prices. Overall, we believe Wednesday's CPI report will show headline inflation of 7% year-over-year, the strongest reading since June of 1982. The first quarter should see an inflation peak with lower energy prices and a decline in food and auto inflation, allowing for a slower increase in prices for the rest of the year. However, crucially, we expect core PCE inflation only to fall from 4.7% today to about 3% by early 2023, and to stay close to that level for as long as the current expansion continues. On monetary policy, last week's Fed minutes underscored the reality that the Fed has now taken a more hawkish turn. For a long time, they have stated that they would only begin to raise rates when inflation had reached 2% and was on track to exceed 2% for some time, and when they had reached maximum employment. As they made clear in their December FOMC statement, they now regard the inflation condition as having been satisfied. Moreover, with the unemployment rate now falling below 4% and wages rising sharply, they must surely also now think that the employment condition has essentially been met. Because of this, the federal fund's futures market is now pricing a first rate hike in March, followed by three more in June, September and December. In addition, the Fed is actively discussing how it will reduce its balance sheet once it begins to raise rates. Crucially, the minutes revealed that at least some members want to avoid flattening the yield curve and consequently were in favour of a more aggressive policy towards reducing their balance sheet. This gets to the single most important issue for investors. If the Fed wants to tighten monetary policy to ward off inflation, it can only achieve its goal by achieving higher long-term interest rates. If it wants to raise long-term interest rates, it surely has the tool to do so. With a hoard of $5.7 trillion in treasuries and $2.6 trillion in mortgage-backed securities, it's perhaps this realization which has caused 10-year treasury yields to back up by 24 basis points last week and 10-year tip yields to rise even more by 32 basis points. In addition, both the Eurozone and the UK are seeing headline inflation rates of roughly 5%. While the ECB is unlikely to raise rates in the year ahead, they are phasing out their emergency bond-buying program while the BOE has ended QE and has already begun to raise short-term interest rates. All this suggests that last week's sell-off in the Treasury market has room to run. On earnings this week marks the start of the fourth quarter earnings season, with six S&P 500 firms set to report. For the first time in six quarters, negative pre-announcements exceeded positive pre-announcements, suggesting less room for upside surprises. In addition, as we move into 2022, corporate profits should be squeezed by higher wage costs, interest rates, and potentially taxes, along with a moderation in nominal economic growth. We expect earnings growth to slow to the high single digits in the year ahead and to low single digits at best in 2023. For investors, these more tricky fundamentals coincide with a significant valuation issue. On the fixed income side, low treasury yields and tight credit spreads limit income opportunities and add risk to portfolios. On the equity side, the forward P.E. ratio on the S&P 500 is 20.6 times more than one standard deviation above its long-term average. Combined, this suggests a long-term return on a traditional plain vanilla 60-40 U.S. stock bond portfolio of less than 4%. So what can investors do? First, get active, both in asset allocation and security selection. Value stocks are some of the cheapest valuations relative to growth stocks seen since the tech bubble. International equities are selling at more than a 30% discount in forward PEs compared to U.S. stocks. And within the U.S. equity market, there's plenty of evidence of mispricing, with the spread between the 80th percentile and the 20th percentile in PE valuations running at almost twice average levels. Second, look for diversified sources of income and growth. 
ESG technologies and a wide swath of labour-saving technologies are likely to boom in the years ahead as the world grapples with climate change and a shortage of skilled workers. In addition, international equities and alternatives can both provide better income streams than most developed economy fixed income markets. And third, reassess portfolios. If an investor had established a reasonably balanced portfolio at the end of 2018 with the weights we show on page 61 of our Guide to the Markets and gone to sleep, they would now have seen more than a 52% return. This could radically change their need for income, for growth and for portfolio protection going forward. However, if they had not rebalanced, the portfolio would now be significantly overweight large-cap U.S. equities at a time when they promised significantly more risk and less potential return than three years ago. That is why for many investors, the most important resolution in the new year is not just to see how the world has changed, but to see how they have changed in their goals, in their wealth, and in the balance of the portfolios, and to take action to develop a new financial plan for a post-pandemic world. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. If you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management unless otherwise stated as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.